1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey,
0: do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out weknowpodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos – We know podcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. This week, we're joined by Mike Myers of the Songwriting for Guitar podcast to discuss Gautier's heartbreaking mega hit from the summer of 2012, Somebody That I Used to Know. Should we all be addicted to Gautier's certain kind of sadness, or should we cut him off and make out like it never happened? Stay tuned for this fun dive into an artist that was surprisingly a one-hit wonder in the U.S.
2: But that was to make us do.
3: all you need to make the money guaranteed, and you can live off royalties forever, and it makes me wonder as it shuts up wanders it one hits under.
0: Alright, Mike, so thanks for joining us today to talk about Gauthier, or as you and I in Pittsburgh would probably call him. <laughs> Gautier, (laughs) I'm glad you could be here to talk about Gautier. This was a good choice, man. Was there a particular reason why you chose this one?
3: There was. Thanks for having me on, dude. This is is exciting. I've enjoyed the podcast, and so getting to dive in to – you know a one hit wonder there were a couple on my list but the more and more i thought about it i'm so glad this one was the choice because this was also the very first song i ever taught so when i made that transition to teaching in like 2012 i had to do a test lesson so this was the first song i taught in 2012 when i was doing my auditioning for being a teacher the test lesson she was like oh yeah i kind of want to learn go to you know or yeah as I would say in Pittsburghese, Gautier. <laughs> so I was right. going through the song and it was so interesting because the chord structure was so simplistic. It's like D minor, C yeah. during all that verse. And it's only at the chorus that suddenly the third co- chord comes in, which is like B flat. And it was so simplistic, but the song moves so quickly, you don't realize that it's like, what, four minutes and like 30 seconds or something, like 10 sec- It's like such a... Interesting song musically, and it's done so much. But that is to me the quintessential one hit wonder because we've never had a follow up to that song.
2: We have to address the fact that anybody listening in Australia is probably pulling their hair out like, How dare you! But yes, in every other country, I think, except for Australia, he was definitely a one hit wonder. This song came out probably at the peak of like Matt Kelly doesn't listen to the radio. So, my first exposure to this song was actually a cover. Everyone playing it on a single guitar cover yeah. that like went extremely viral. That was my first exposure to this song, and I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that cover was pretty good. I,
0: I actually hadn't seen that before. Apparently, that was like a very viral video. And we, ha- we do have to make note, like Matt said, people in Australia might be bothered by us calling this a one-hit wonder because actually, Gautier won the Aria award as australia's artist of the decade from 2010 to 2020 he
2: was artist of the decade wow. so yeah he's no joke in australia i mean that's just one of the many he he won the most outstanding new independent artist award uh, in 2006 the following year he won best male artist and this is still like six years before this <laughs> song hits in the states
0: Yeah. Yeah. He was already pretty well established. Before we get into all that stuff, charts and all that stuff, I do want to talk about the structure of this song. And Mike, you being a songwriter, I know too that you can appreciate all this stuff because I really did some research on like, okay, this song stands out because of the instrumentation and like what's going on. It's very different. It's not your standard pop song there
3: there's definitely some differences here. there's absolutely some differences like to me again the simplistic chord structure i think this was also a turn when i started because i didn't listen to the radio but once i started teaching i was like that's pretty much all i was listening to and it was this is where songs were taking a turn to a lot more simplistic chord structures and i think just the percussiveness of just a simple guitar at the beginning that just loops around and a lot of this is loops because even when you see them play live in studio it's all like he has like those little push pads that are just kind of activating all those instrumentations and backing tracks
0: well something i didn't know until i did the research is that that main you know acoustic guitar riff is actually a sample from a brazilian jazz musician named luis bonfa it's a song called seville so if you listen to it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> the, the other piece that I
2: should have known, but until I saw it in writing, didn't click to me, is that the xylophone is just playing the first nine notes of Baba Black Sheep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: I didn't I didn't realize that either. And I saw some people say that it, it's also a take on Twinkle, Twinkle Little Star. All the those nursery rhymes are very similar. But yeah, it's Baba Black Sheep. And that's... <laughs> A really good point. I'm not sure if that's a xylophone or a glockenspiel. I think you're right. I think it's a xylophone, right? Yeah. I think yeah. Is, Mike, as you being a songwriter and and a teacher and everything, I wanted to talk to you about this concept that Matt just brought up. Is this thing that I've noticed in popular music, and especially I just recently did an episode of someone else's podcast mm-hmm. about Blink-182, and, and I brought this up in that episode, not even thinking about the fact that we were doing this episode, but this concept of using nursery rhyme melodies in pop music and people subconsciously their ears are attracted to that blink 182 does it like crazy i swear every blink 182 hit is some sort of simplistic nursery rhyme style melody and this song for sure has it in the baba black sheep and i will say that even my band has been guilty of it at one point And I'm going to point this out, and I don't know if people would have noticed this. If you happen to like my band, we have this song from back in 2006, and it's from our album 37 Everywhere. And the song is called For the Second Time, which I always jokingly say is my least favorite punchline song ever. It's a very like over-the-top emotional ballad that's like a real bummer. But in the bridge of it, to match up with like the lyrical content, the guitar lead is... London Bridge. It's the melody of the London Bridge melody. I think this is a very uh, common thing in pop music. Uh,
3: were, were you, you ever think about this at all? I do, I think it's because we want melodies that pull someone in that feel familiar, but isn't mm-hmm. like a slight ripoff, but at the same time is easy to digest, easy to replicate and hold on to. And that's why I think n- nursery rhymes are great because when you're a kid, These are things you're constantly singing. Everyone knows, regardless of whether they feel they can sing it in pitch or in tone, they can replicate it back. And so it makes sense that if you're trying to do something that's commercial, popular, gain notoriety, make it memorable, make it simple. And so to make that connection between the two and modify it, like it's almost like sometimes I feel like certain songs growing up, I remember like the na 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 that sort of like even rhythmic pattern of Na 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 is used consistently because it just stays with you. It's so funny you say that. You're you're talking
0: about like when you're like teasing somebody and you go na 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 na. Well, when when you did that, you know what the first thing I thought of was what that Journey song that goes na 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 na
2: And my my brain went my chemical romance the na 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 na. It's it's
0: a it's definitely a thing. And when I did some research on it, I saw some comments about people saying that not only are those nursery rhymes familiar but they're also soothing. That's a very good thing to say about this song about somebody that I used to know that when mm-hmm. it starts you're coming right with that melody right off the bat and yeah it sounds soothing and it isn't until the chorus that it becomes not so soothing but that those first two verses they're they're very soothing calming even the way he's singing is very subdued and chill.
3: I think that line too is a great representation of something that's multi-purpose. Like when it's meant to be the hook, it's Mm -hmm. the hook when it's buried behind when he's singing, you don't know, like it fits it and complements it, but it it's multi-purpose. So it's not just like, I, I think from being, you know, from a punk background at first, I was always like hammering on large guitar lines. And then suddenly there was nothing, but to have a line that fits all throughout the song. Right. is predominant now in music where you're finding that constantly. Yeah, it becomes the focal point of your ears at the beginning
0: and then it goes off into the background along with the bongos and the bongos and and the percussion in the song are played mm-hmm. in a tango pattern, which I wouldn't have necessarily recognized, but if anyone's wondering that what you're hearing in the in the background there is is what is predominantly used in
2: tango music. I also want to draw attention, as we're talking about the weird composition of this song, the first two verses, the rhyme scheme is really weird, hmm. right? Because you've got like, now and then I think of when we were together, rhyme, we'll, we'll call that rhyme one. Yeah. Like when you said you felt so happy you could die, that doesn't rhyme, so we'll say that's number two. You told myself that you were right for me, three, but I felt so lonely in your company, three, three, but that was love and that's an ache that i still remember back to the first line <laughs> rhyme it's, and then yeah. that first line rhyme comes back in at the end of the second verse but it's not at the start of the se- like it's very it's very interesting how it walks that line of like a non-rhyming poem but it does have a very do, abstract rhyme scheme simultaneously Matt, do you know what
0: this is do you know what this is i, can't, I, I don't know if you, if you don't realize what this is the, these verses are limericks these are limericks that's that's the the flow of a limerick and and yeah you maybe usually in a limerick that second line would rhyme too but Mm -hmm. if you were like saying this as if it was a dirty joke you would say (laughs) now and then i think of when we were together like when you said you felt so happy you could die told myself that you were right for me but felt so lonely in your company but that was love and it's an ache i still remember that would be to the what's that like limerick that everyone there 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 was an old Banned from nantucket i don't even i feel like that's that's the start of the joke and i never know what the actual end of that joke is i assume it's something that ends in fuck it (laughs) right i I know
2: that i'll say that the second (laughs) the second part ends around so big he could suck it i know okay (laughs) all right okay that makes sense (laughs) all right you're right. right this is like a limerick It's just a very, it's not a normal thing for a pop song right? to have a Limerick rhyme scheme. Yeah. And Mike,
0: to your point about that simplistic, well, what is a a sample, but that guitar riff is there's a back and forth to it. It's just back and forth and back and forth. And that back and forth is also reflected in the lyrics that you have this back and forth. That's the whole theme of the song, right? You're hearing this song. Eventually, Kimbra comes into the song. Who, yeah. by the way, Kimbra is awesome. In preparation for this episode, Kimbra was an artist where I was like, "Oh, why have I never listened to Kimbra before?" <laughs> and I, that's why I'm so glad we do this podcast when this kind of stuff happens. But this song is a—you're you're hearing this song a back and forth between two people's perspective of a breakup. You know, so the whole time you're hearing that—that that first two verses, chorus—you're hearing it from gautier's perspective aka gautier aka um uh, a wally debacker (laughs) Wally wally debacker you're hearing his perspective but then you're hearing kimbra's perspective so you know you could listen to this song being in his shoes or her shoes depending on what your situation was in a relationship
3: and it's almost like the
0: music reflects that if that makes sense
3: And if you take that intro guitar, that guitar part, so the guitar's going back and forth, so there's constant movement between that. But his melody at the first first start of the line, now and then, is is really flowing and not fast-paced. So it's almost like you're Mm -hmm. getting that contrast where the guitar takes care of that rhythmic back and forth, but his melody is flowing. And so they're not kind of fighting each other. They're working together, which makes it draws you in automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It it, it did sound way different. Still sounds way different
0: than anything you would hear on pop radio, which all builds up to that chorus, which, oh, baby, (laughs) is that a chorus? Because (laughs) he's made you wait for it. You know, you've been waiting. Like, you've gone through two verses, an intro and two verses, and you haven't even hit it yet. But once you hit it, wow, it is... So fun to sing along with. And, Mike, we did a episode about EMF Unbelievable at one point <laughs> where f- <laughs> th- for the whole episode, we were doing a <laughs> whole episode full of that. But how fun is this song? Because you get to hit almost. It depends on where your voice lies for me it's right at that point of maybe cracking in that first verse which is that real nice when you could hit that then the second line comes back down and you get to go falsetto it's so fun to sing along to and i gotta do it right now just to show <laughs> how, how fun this is because you get to go but you didn't have to cut me off make out like it never happened and that nothing i don't even need your love but you treat me like a stranger and it feels so rough yeah i mean when you're in your car and that is full blast <laughs> and you're feeling those emotions because dude that's something about this song that mm-hmm. i mean music aside we could talk about the music theory of why this song is appealing all day but these lyrics are ultra relatable i would venture to say that 99.9 percent of people could relate to this song, and I think
2: that that's even reflected. And when you look at like the laundry list of people who've covered this song, mm-hmm. like this song fits in with almost every genre. Like when I'm <laughs> looking at the list and I'm like, all right, Panatonics, yeah, I could see this being great as an acapella song, like Ingrid Michelson, totally fun yeah. with Hayley Williams, absolutely. But then you dabble into like Coheed and Cambria, Mayday Parade, and Three Days Grace, and it's like, yeah, that also <laughs> all like. That all checks out. The weirdest one, obviously, I love it. Weird Al does a cover of it in one of his polkas. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. Now you're just somebody that I used to know. Right. Like, any genre, it sounds good. Like, there's, it's, yeah. it, like it has that that raw emotion. And this was in such a weird summer. Like I want to talk about the summer of 2012 for just one quick second, because for the most part, if you look at like all the songs that were number one hits, they were like a hit for maybe a week or two, right? You had like LMAFO, Bruno Mars, Rihanna, Taylor Swift. These were the three songs that were the, the longest seated number one billboard song in order of like, I'll just, Fun We Are Young sat at number one for six weeks. Yeah. Super indie song. It got beat out. It got dethroned by Giotier, which sat there for eight weeks. So we had we had an entire summer of indie rock, and who came to bring the pop back and dethrone Gautier. Carly Ray Jepsen called me maybe which sat yeah. at number one for nine weeks it was like we had had our sad boy summer and now it was like <laughs> yo we need to fucking party now <laughs> let's get some Car- get Carly Ray on the line it's time to to dance. That was a good
0: summer of music. <laughs> yeah. I really think. I mean, I love the. I love Carly Rae. Even you know,
3: I. I yeah, I think that's great.
2: I think everybody knows you love Carly Rae. Yeah.
3: <laughs> totally unrelated. And then uh, what? Everybody talks. Neon Trees. That was another one during that that whole summer. I think was around that because I remember that whole season of teaching. Call me maybe. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Yep. But fun too, and it was it, it just a really obscure summer.
2: Yeah, the day that this topped out at number one, it was April 28th, 2012. Also on the top 10 was like One Direction, What Makes You Beautiful, Justin Bieber, Boyfriend, and Nicki Minaj, Starships were like among the the top 10 songs. And then also while those are on there, We Are Young and Call Me Maybe are also in the top 10 <laughs> simultaneously. Like it was a pretty good, diverse <laughs> top 10 billboard chart yeah that's pretty that's pretty good
0: and you know we're talking about how you know I believe this is pretty much a perfect song I think at the time maybe I think I heard both of you guys reference this I think maybe I wasn't paying attention very much to what was popular and I think when I heard this song it was already after there was a bit of a backlash against it. I think people were just sick of it. I think maybe it was one of those deals where, yeah, it was number one for eight weeks or something, and people were getting tired of it pretty quick. To match the perfect song, however, there was also a perfect music video that went along with it. That music video, which now has 1.8 billion views on YouTube.
1: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart. Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout, plus considering every meal is dietitian approved it's also nutritious and delicious so what are you waiting for get started today by heading to factormeals.com/1hit50 and use the code 1hit50 to get 50% off that's code 1hit50 the words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com/1hit50 to get 50% off
2: I mean, this is we're talking about a song that is still considered one of the best-selling digital singles of all time because it sold over 13 million copies digitally alone. This song was insanely massive, but I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast. There is a very common theme of bands having a massive first single and then people get burned out. Like, mm-hmm. we even got to talk to Scott from Dishwalla and he said, like, we want it to put out another single and the record label was like, Counting blue cars is still crushing on the radio. We can't, we can't muddy the waters. He even said like, in retrospect, I think that hurt us because like people just got sick of hearing that song.
3: Right. It's a fine balance there. Yeah. And it's interesting. The videos that you mentioned, like there are so many parody videos, like they're countless. And even the, the crappiest parody video still has like a million plays because, and they're so
2: diverse too. Well, I think that that comes into, like you said, it's like this soothing nursery rhyme. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is perfect background noise. You know what I mean? Because it's not like overly complicated. Like this is, when you think of like song that's playing when you walk in Starbucks, like (laughs) this is, this is like the soundtrack to like someone going to get coffee because it is so, it's got that Mm repetitiousness to the two chords. It's Until the chorus hits, it's very, like, whispery and soft. So, like, it's similar to what I was saying when we did our Frontier Psychiatrist episode with drum covers, right? Like, because it's a steady beat for the entire song, that means that someone could do a really interesting, intricate drum cover. And we've seen some amazing guitar covers of this song because you basically are – the normal riff of the guitar is just a bass line back and forth Mm -hmm. between two notes. So, you can have someone like a Mike Dahls who's, like – I'm going to play multiple parts of this song simultaneously on the guitar because I just need to keep that one bass line going back and forth. And then I can get really technical and weird on it. Like, I I think that when something is so simple, it allows for so much experimentation (laughs) to come out of it
3: too. And the melody does a line plus three. I took a melody class like a, a long time ago and he pointed out that hit songs have this kind of three hook. So if you think of the but you didn't have to cut me off. No 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 happen and now we were nothing. He's taking words and making it a three. He'll say a phrase, then take either two words or one particular like word, cut it up, and then it's a three, and instinctively we're like that's a hook and it just grills it in our head over and over.
2: Yeah. And that's, I mean, we've talked about that too. The songs where it's like, th- there's so many hooks. This song, there's not really a non-catchy part to it. It's weird because it's catchy, but it's also like one of those things where like, if you were to hand me these lyrics without me having context of the song, mm-hmm. I would be like, this isn't going to work. <laughs> like, like, lyrically, it doesn't feel like it would be something that like, people would be able to quickly memorize and like, sing along with from start to finish. But it works. It just works. (laughs) Hey, I got to talk about Kimbra's
0: part a little bit, too, because just from an instrumentation standpoint, I believe that is the first part of the song where you hear the Mellotron come in. And I am a sucker for some Mellotron, man. And yeah, and her voice fit perfect. So there was supposed to be some Australian superstar, not specified who it was, but was supposed to do the female part. I don't know. I don't know who it is. They didn't say And then after they tried it with Gautier's girlfriend at the time.
3: He said it was too happy. It was like, it was too nice. And it was like, it was supposed to be this mournful part, but she ends up being like, the happiness came through and he didn't like it. But then Kimbra
0: came along and it just worked perfectly. I can't imagine another voice being in there. Her voice sounds amazing in this song. And once again, lyrically, you hear it from her perspective where she's basically saying, she heard you talk, Gautier about other women saying this same thing. I, I don't know. You can, you can decipher it however you want, but basically you're saying it from her perspective. We've probably all been in both sides of this. I feel like I've been in Gautier's side of this a lot more. And I will say, and I don't know if you guys are this way, but from a personal aspect, I don't know if this is a good quality in myself or a bad quality, but... When someone does me wrong, and I'm not saying something little, but I'm saying something like bad, I cut them off forever. I am very good at cutting people off and never talking to them for the rest of my life. I I think it's a good thing. I think that I'd rather, you know, if someone does something that bad, I'm, I'm good at being like, nah, fuck you. I'm good. You know, I've, I've always been that way.
3: I'd say at this point, I'm pretty good at just being like, I'm done. Like, yeah. I don't have time. It's just, I right. think I used to be the puppy dog that was like, ah, come on, I'll, you know, I'll give you. Now, I don't I'm prioritize just like, no. them
2: anymore for sure, but I I don't also like completely wipe their existence out of my I mean, when I say memories, someone's but... dead to me, they are dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm
0: not saying it's a big, long list of people, but, and I feel like maybe when I was younger, you know, relationships end sometimes and I think that maybe I was a little harsh about that when I was younger but I think at this point in my life if I if at this point in my life I cut you off forever and you're dead to me you must have done some serious shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) but but I I will hold that to, to my grave for sure this song's awesome and I dug more into Gautier's catalog which I hadn't done before preparing for this episode I found that he has a real sort of peter gabriel aesthetic to him sometimes in his delivery sometimes in the creativity of his music and especially in his music videos and when i dug into more of his music videos i was like damn how did this guy not have another hit and i really believe that had Gautier happened 20 <laughs> years earlier at the height of mtv that he would not have been a one-hit wonder
2: well Gautier didn't really help his case because when this song was at its peak, he also decided he was quitting music. (laughs) So like he went on a hiatus from creating music. He still continued to like, he started an indie record label and and stuff like that. And I think he still plays occasionally. I know last year he put out a live album. He's starting to consider doing a fourth album. I think as recently as 2018, he said, "Eh, maybe there's a fourth Gatier album in me. I guess it's, I'm sitting there being like, it's weird to like quit at your biggest hit. But then also the reality is like, he'd been doing this shit for 12 years by the time (laughs) this was his biggest hit. So like, there could be a little bit of like, I already said all the things I want to say. If you want more
3: of my stuff, there's two whole other albums you (laughs) can go and check out. And I think it's a performance thing too, because I was looking at a lot of like live performances he did. Like, he did Saturday Night Live, he did some in studios. It was very kind of cold a little bit it was not really and what i love about the song is the backing layers like his voice sounds so good tripled quadrupled and all the harmonies and so they have that in the live setting but it's kind of like I kind of want to listen to the song. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's like, I'll listen to the
2: song. I'd rather a band be a little sloppy live, but like really energetic than like, it sounds exactly like the record, but it also feels like I'm just listening to the record and staring at a poster. Like, I mean, I think the Beatles nailed it though, when they were basically just like, fuck it, we're not playing live anymore. We're just going to hang out in a studio and just bang out records (laughs) like every couple months. Like i i kind of wish that he would have just done that and been like all right i'm not gonna do live thing anymore but i'm just gonna like lock myself in a studio for the next decade just like creating music as it comes to me
0: i mean he also (laughs) plays in a band called the basics so i think he gets out his his musical urges through that but i'm about to make you guys really love gautier right now okay uh, what some things i'm about to tell you now Mike and I don't have this luxury, you know, of of being like, oh, we don't care about money. We got to pay our bills when it comes to music. <laughs> and I would love to reach that point where money doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> you know, like, I think that would be amazing to just create music and not worry about the other aspects of it. But, you know, and I don't know Gautier's financial situation. I'm assuming with this gigantic hit song that it's probably pretty good. But, you know, he said that he would maybe make another album in the next decade. And I respect that he wants to make another album when he artistically feels like he wants to make it and not because it's a cash grab or something. But everything I've read said that Gautier doesn't care about money. He doesn't monetize his YouTube channel, which, by the way, like I said before, the music video for this song has 1.8 billion views. So... That's some serious money that Gautier is just like, nah, I'm good on that. He yeah,
2: just leave it on the table.
0: Obviously, Luis Bonfa's people came after him because of the sample. So instead of going to court, Gautier was just like, nah, just give him half. He gave him 50% of all the money made from the song. He doesn't sell his music for commercials. Doesn't allow his music to be used in commercials. He encourages artists to use the song free of charge for remixes. And on indie film soundtracks. He encourages people, just use it for free. I really haven't heard of anything like that before. Probably the closest thing I've heard to that before was the producer, Steve Albini, who famously didn't take points on Nirvana's In Utero. Even though that was a very commonplace thing to do and would have resulted in easily millions of dollars for him. But no, he just said like, no, I just recorded it. So that's the closest thing I could think to that, to what Gautier has done here. I think that's pretty cool. Once again, we don't all have that that luxury. (laughs) A lot of us have to take the money where we can get it, you know, but hey, props to Gautier for that. He sounds like a true artist.
2: For sure. And I want to highlight two things that he pulled off with this song when it came out was that he became the first Australian artist to hold the number one single and the number one, album in australia since silver chair in 2007 (laughs) which i think is is awesome and he was the first australian artist to reach number one since savage garden in 2000 and all i've learned from this podcast is every time we're talking about an australian artist they're fucking dope so maybe we should (laughs) maybe we should open that gate a little bit more to their music because 13 year gaps in between artists seems like a really a really bad idea Dude, Australia, New Zealand, it's like every artist
0: I hear, and I know that Australians and New Zealanders wouldn't want me to hear them grouping them together, (laughs) but, you know, I'm I'm just a dumb American who groups New Zealand and Australia (laughs) together, but... You know, Kimbra's a New Zealand artist, mm-hmm. whereas Gautier's a Australian artist. So, you know, they kind of collaborated here. And maybe my impression of that is all from Flight of the Concords. I believe there is <laughs> a lot of Australian slash New Zealand rivalry on Flight of the Concords. Mike, you had pointed out Benny. I Just just this week, I was running on the treadmill, and I always listen to my new music playlist. And mm-hmm. the New Zealand artist Benny, who I really love, yes, uh, just did a cover of this song. New Zealand is even though I haven't been there, it is my dream place to live because everything seems so awesome from there. I love the music. I love the comedy. It appears to be beautiful. They didn't have COVID. Like they did a real good job of not having a pandemic there, which is a, a very good quality in a place that I want to live. I know uh my girlfriend and I were looking at like cost of living there and stuff, and I think it is like kind of expensive depending on where you live, and maybe the job market isn't that great. Maybe you got to go in there and get a decent job. But If I should ever become very rich, I would like to relocate to New Zealand and take all my family and friends with me. (laughs) That would be my goal (laughs) is just take everyone I know and and go to New Zealand.
3: You are not the only person that said that. I feel like I've heard that. Yeah. I was in a coaching call last week and somebody talked about he was making plans. He was like organizing how much it would cost to move to New Zealand because he was like, this seems like the ideal place.
0: Mike, you want to you want to talk about being an ideal place, especially for musicians. Now it's not ideal because touring would be very hard. But we had the band the Beths on Chris to Makes a Podcast, and the lead singer uh, Liz was talking about how in New Zealand the government will will give you funds to go on tour. Like the government gave them like twenty grand to be able to go on tour and leave the country and
3: everything. That's pretty badass too. That they encourage the arts like that. That's amazing, and I think you yeah. know Canada. Canada has tons of different opportunities too for right. artists to fund. Because I've had Canadian friends being like, "I did this retreat, yeah," or "I went on the store and it was funded." And it was like, yeah. shit. And like, here we are in America. We're sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. It's like <laughs> yep. what the hell? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, on top of that, New Zealand isn't even cold. You know, yeah. <laughs> like oh. uh, anyway. We're all moving to New Zealand when we can. Like, <laughs> we gotta decide. I think I think that like this is gonna be a pretty easy one. We Wouldn't decide. it be wild if we all said blunder? <laughs> yeah. No. I'm I'm gonna say that Gautier brought the one hit thunder for yeah. sure. He he yeah. in fact, I think he might be. We, we did rankings last year of all the episodes we did, and we Duncan Sheik was our most thunderous artist of last year. This might be the most thunderous artist that we've done yet, in my opinion, on this podcast.
2: And that's pretty impressive because in a big country, is also in yeah, the contention true. for this year. And that is, you've been very open All that right. that is your favorite one hit All one right. <laughs> you, you You
0: you reminded me, maybe. Well, I've, I'll have to think about that when we do our recap, Matt. But uh, <laughs> yeah. well, but but what do you, what do you think, Mike? One hit thunder or one hit blunder?
3: Oh, one hit thunder. I mean, we, we I don't know if we mentioned, but he won a Grammy for album of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah, sure. Yeah, one hit thunder for me. And Mike, if people enjoy hearing
2: your voice, is there other places where they can go to hear
3: your voice? Absolutely. They can go to the songwriter for guitar podcast to hear my voice and if they're a songwriter and they're like i suck at guitar i need help if you go to songwritingforguitar.com there's tons of free resources that they can check out i can't recommend the songwriting for
0: guitar podcast enough especially since i i edit it (laughs) and and i've edited a lot of good episodes there's a lot of good conversation about songwriting and things related to songwriting you should all subscribe to it right now and mike Thanks for coming on, man. I I hope you had fun. Dude, I had fun. This was great, guys.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: This bed's got too much room I might need another cover
2: This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me you're hearing for the second time by Punchline off their album 37 Everywhere. Visit punchline.com for info on future Punchline shows, releases, and merchandise. Punchline is playing Antifest on November 20th at the Roxanne Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Come check out the show and say hello to me if you see me there. Do you want to hear your song on the show or have any interest in sponsoring an episode? Contact me at matt at geekscape.net for our rates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder.
1: Jumba. That's right, Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ch chumbacasinocom No purchase necessary. Forward, by law 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, in off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course, provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.